Amen. Open your Bible, please, to Psalm 119. 119, the longest chapter in all the Bible, 176 verses. It's almost as large as the book of Philippians or the book of Ruth in the Bible. It's it's a pretty good-sized chapter. We're not going to read the entire chapter tonight, so don't get excited. Uh, but I expect you to be able to quote it for me tomorrow night, and I will give you a free copy of my book if you can do that. Man, what a blessing tonight. Your pastor just put up my outline. I don't even know that I could quote you my outline. He takes better notes than I preach my notes. That's all I can say. But um, I hope God has blessed you the last several nights. And uh, how many, uh, nothing superficial, God has spoken to you and you've responded. I know he spoke to you, but how many you've responded? You're one of those 40, but maybe you didn't sign up, but you have responded. You're doing something that God has impressed upon your heart. That's wonderful. I want to, uh, I want to be a help, so I don't know that I'm going to preach tonight. I might. It's hard to not get in God's word and not preach a little. But I want to, I want to counsel, coach. I feel like we have a good team. We, we've got some momentum going for the Lord. And that new ministry on caring, I, I just can't believe there won't be 10 of you signing up because so many of you share such a caring spirit in this church. I mean, for one another. The men that I was with on Saturday, it's incredible how you can have such manly men, but yet very caring and very kind and love one another. That is, uh, that's one of the attributes of your church that I share with my friends. This is a church that genuinely cares for one another. And so tonight, if we got at least two more signed up, you'd have the joy of knowing that you doubled your workforce. We're too short. No, you're too short. <laughs> I'm just right. <laughs> but <clears throat> two more, that would just double it. And that would give you a sense of joy, would it not? And not that we're putting any value on how many, but that's incredible of a response and what a blessing. You know what will mess this whole thing up? You know what will hurt your church more than anything? Do you know what's more contagious than COVID? Do you know what's more damaging than COVID? Do you know what's more dangerous and damaging and destructive than COVID? Nobody likes to say the word anymore, but we have to deal with it. It's called sin. We all struggle with it, don't we? Hey, I'm a preacher. I'm a far better Christian than any of you in this room. Well, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes my wife and I get in the car and I think, and I tell, I say, I think we're the only two normal people in that whole church. And quite frankly, I'm suspect of one of them. But we all struggle with sin. And the devil is not going to, he's not going to ease up on you. If anything, he's going to turn it up a notch on you. You know, if you're going to try to do something more for God, that you try to witness to people, you know what you're doing? You're attacking hell. You can't ring the doorbell of hell and not expect a visit. 
<clears throat> that shouldn't scare you. It just should prepare you. Don't, you don't have to be afraid of that. The Bible says resist the devil. He will flee from you. And so when you say, well, it's hard, it's hard because your flesh wants it. That's why it's hard. It's not the devil has authority over you. Oh, no, he doesn't have authority over you. God is your king. God is your Lord. Jesus is your brother. And he has all power, and he's, been, and he's given it to you and me. And the gates of hell can't stop us. And so tonight, I want to <clears throat> read a portion of scripture that is familiar with this church, I know. But I want to teach and preach a little bit tonight, and hopefully it'll be very practical. In fact, I'm going to divide the sermon in half. I'm going <clears> to <throat> start with a negative side and then a positive side tomorrow night. And so if you think tonight's is a little boring, that's okay. You come back tomorrow night, we'll fix it, Okay. But I don't think it's going to be boring, but I'm just warning you that it's a two-part message, so you'll need to come back tomorrow night. Look in verse number nine. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Now, some of you right now are saying, I'm not young, I'm out. If a young man can cleanse his way, an old man can. That's the implication. Young men are not as well experienced. They're not as wise. They haven't been through the battles. Their, their excitement to find themselves, exercise their freedom in the world, check things out, their curiosity. And so God says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? If a young man can keep clean, then us old guys can Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Well, we know that. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Are you getting the drift here? Already, he's recognizing the possibility, yea, the potential of going away from what God wants us to do. Help me not to wander. The man that wrote, uh, Come thou fount of every blessing. I think it's verse number three. It says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Don't question another believer's love just because they fall into sin. Come on, surely you can do better than that. Peter loved the Lord Jesus Christ, but he denied him three times in, in a few moments. Who in their right mind would say Peter didn't love the Lord? But his love for the Lord wasn't as strong as it should have been at that moment. And you're going to have moments too where if you're not careful, you're going to find yourself wandering off. With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. So how can I stop this? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. 
Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. And I want to draw your attention to the last seven words of verse number nine. Taking heed thereto according to thy word. And I want to teach, preach a little bit tonight on this thought. Staying clean in a dirty world. Do I have to go through statistics and facts and just the news that we watch to convince you tonight that our world is filthy dirty? You can hardly walk through a mall. You can hardly drive through a neighborhood. You can hardly even just sit out in your own backyard unless you have 30 acres and not hear or see the filth of this world. And yet God expects you and me to stay clean. No. You, because you love God, want to stay clean. God does expect you to stay clean. But let's not forget, those of us that are saved, we want to stay clean. That's not, if I have to talk you into trying to stay clean, I doubt that you're saved. Or you're living in such deep sin for so long, you can't even see the light above you. I'm presuming that this crowd tonight wants to stay clean. And so I want to address that subject. Let's ask God to bless the preaching tonight. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word a little bit. And for me, this is a joy and pleasure. Anytime any preacher gets to preach to a crowd that not only pays attention, but acts on it, it's a joy to be able to see God's people absorb your word and then put it into action is a joy like very few things can compare. Now, Father, help me to equip these saints. Help me to prepare these saints to endure hardness like a good soldier. And I pray that it would be a source of encouragement for this church tonight. And should there be a soul here tonight that still doesn't know if they were to die tonight, they would go to heaven. I pray that tonight they would trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. For that we'll thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Notice our text indicates there's a desire to be clean. And if you're saved tonight, you have that desire to be clean. There's a responsibility required. He says, how in the world can a young man stay clean in this dirty world? I love what Charles Spurgeon, your preacher, has been sharing some wonderful quotes. And I love the men that he is quoting. Those old timers, they could say more in a sentence than I can say in an entire book. I mean, I don't know how they can cram so much thought into one phrase or one sentence. Charles Spurgeon was a master at it. He said, I would sooner be holy than happy if the two things could be divorced. Were it possible for a man always to sorrow and yet to be pure, I would choose the sorrow if I might win the purity. For to be free from the power of sin, to be made to love holiness, is 
true happiness. That's powerful. When you get saved, there's a desire to be clean. And our text indicates that there's a responsibility that we assume. It's a sad day, you know it, our basic nature, when sin is pointed out in our life, we tend to blame somebody, do we not? That's natural. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. The snake what, didn't know how to talk yet, I guess, uh, or didn't know who to point to. That's the same today. Husband comes in the house, wife yells at him, he kicks the cat. It just goes from boom, 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 domino effect. We all attack, we all blame someone else when something is pointed out. Truth hurts. Even when someone lies about you, if it were 100% false, you wouldn't be bothered by it at all. It would be so ridiculous you think, where in the world did they come up with that? But the best lie always has a little truth in it. And that little truth will hurt you. So even when people say mean things to you that hurt you, take a step back. Why does it hurt you? There's a, maybe a minuscule streak of truth in there that God would like to point out in your life. And rather than getting mad at that person, ask God, search me. Why does this hurt? Is there some truth to that? Help me get whatever that is out of my life. I want to be totally clean. I don't want anything to come between me and you. We ought to assume the responsibility for our heirs. That's one reason I love David. Remember when Nathan went to David? I mean, we all can jump on David, and we should. But let's don't forget, God called him a man after his own heart. David didn't say he was a man after God's heart. God called him a man after his own heart. Nathan, when he pointed his finger in David's face and said, you're the man. The man that I've been painting a picture of and the guilt, you're that man. And instantly, David got it right. He didn't blame Bathsheba for not being dressed modestly. He didn't blame, he didn't blame anybody. He didn't find an excuse, don't you know, God? Kings have the right to have as many wives as they want, which was the culture of their day. No, immediately he got it right. We got way too many Christians that sit in church and God puts their finger, uses the preacher, maybe doesn't even preach on your sin, but somehow through the message, God puts that finger on you, and there's the choice. Are you going to own up to it or not? The sooner you take up responsibility, the quicker you can get over it and get it behind you. And then he says, resources are needed. Look in verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man, I like that word, wherewithal, 
We don't use that much today. Wherewithal means there's resources. I would like to buy a Mercedes Benz. I just don't have the wherewithal. Now, I'm joking. I don't want a Mercedes Benz. Even if I had one given to me, I couldn't afford to get an oil change. I have a friend that bought two shocks. They were $3,500 a piece. I can buy a pretty good car for $7,000, or I guess I could before COVID hit, but uh, you know what I'm saying. I don't want a Mercedes. But you got to have the wherewithal to get one. Um, <clears throat> what would I like? I don't know what I would like. I would just probably go off my diet and say I want ice cream. <laughs> then, then I got to look at my wallet to see if I got the wherewithal. Hallelujah. You understand what the word wherewithal is? And God says you're going to need the wherewithal. You're going to have what it takes to conquer this sin. You know, you men, the men in this room know what I'm speaking about. The number one enemy for any machine, any tool that we have, power tool we have, is dirt. And so it is in the Christian life. Dirt dulls our impact. And before long, it'll, it'll clutter up the whole motor. Before long, you won't be doing what God has asked you to do. We've got to stay clean, and we need some resources to stay clean. And I'm going to suggest tonight, please don't pass out, don't get sick, don't get worried. But we need something to help us to stay clean. You know the word. We need something that will help us to maintain the truth in our life. What is that? I'm going to suggest to you we need standards. 20 years ago, some of you older Christians will remember, 30 years ago, there was a lot of preaching on standards. So much so, that was almost the average sermon. Everything was, you can't, girls can't wear slacks, guys can't have hair touching their ear, can't have facial hair. I mean, we preached uh, we made things up. We preached against everything. When everybody in our church looked the same, it almost looked like Stepford wives out there. I mean, they all look like Stepford Christians. They're all just clones of one another. And I thought, my word, that's sick. Just pass out the Kool-Aid and let's be done with it. You know, it's you know, I remember I was at a fellowship meeting. You're, you're not going to believe this, but this is true. I was at a fellowship meeting, and uh, I was with my dad. I was sitting sort of in the center like these folks do every service. They obviously need a lot of good preaching, so I, I sit here, or at least that's what he said about her. And so, and so but I was a couple rows back with my dad in the center, and the preacher was preaching eloquently. I'm not making this up. And, you know, he's preaching and looking at people over there and looking over there. He saw me. And back then, my mustache was much larger than it is today. And <clears throat> this was back in the era when they didn't believe in facial hair. And he's preaching away. And he, next thing I know, he's going down a rabbit trail preaching against facial hair. I'm not making this up. He's 
preaching against facial hair. And I'm kind of looking around the auditorium, and I'm the only one with facial hair. Granted, it wasn't a whole lot. I mean, I didn't have a beard or go, but I had quite a bit underneath here. And, and, and so I, I, I took it. The next guy up to preach, the second preacher, preached an entire sermon against facial hair. Not just a rabbit trail. Somehow, during the time between the end of that guy's sermon and the next guy, he put together an entire sermon on facial hair. And he preached the whole hour on facial hair. And neither one of those guys realized I was the third speaker that morning. <laughs> so when I got up, I said, well, and you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> there wasn't just one elephant in the room. There was a bunch of, of remains of elephant all over that room. And I mean to tell you, you could hear a pin drop. And I said, well, it's obvious I'm the only one that's got a sermon this morning. <laughs> and so I've already had my heart blessed twice. <laughs> and so I'm going to preach for the rest of you today. <laughs> And hopefully you'll get a sermon. And I just made him laugh about it. But I want to tell you, even the guys that amened him struggled with that. You know why? It's not in the Bible. And what has happened in our churches, we've swung from one extreme to the other. And every time we do, if you're at this extreme or this extreme, it appeals to your pride. It appeals to your flesh. And every time we swing from one extreme to the other, we pass the center of truth. Truth, you don't have to go to an extreme. Just stay on the straight and narrow. You don't have to go to extremes. Just stay on the straight and narrow. Did you hear me? You don't have to go to the extremes. That appeals to your flesh. That makes you feel good. That makes you like the Pharisees where you start boasting on your standards. But standards are important. And so today in our churches, we don't hear much on standards. Because it was, it was a joke. I think it started out with good intentions. But after a while, it, the momentum was going. We were, we were proud of ourselves. I mean, we boasted on ourselves. And I think God has done a good job humbling our churches. To the point, now we're getting into the book. And let's just try to do what God, it's tough enough to just live by the book than to add 5,000 other rules to the book. So let me define some terms. If you're jotting notes down and if I go too fast, just raise your hand. I'll be glad to uh, slow it down and, and repeat it for you. I want to give you three terms that are very important. 
Now, I know some of you are going to go to sleep. You've had a long day. That's okay. I understand. Just don't snore. But this will help you in your Christian life. Write down these three words and then leave a space after each because I'll define them for you. Principles. Standards. Convictions. Now, don't put it in that order. Principles. Principles. 